Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I want to start by just setting up an introduction or caveat to the Christmas story that I believe will help us see how the Christmas story is not just a story of history, not just about something that happened in the past, but it is a story that's unfolding today and that you can be a part of that story. The beginning in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 As Matthew tells the story of the first Christmas, here is how he opens up his description of that event. Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And I just want to, as I do every year, I want to begin by stating what to most is the obvious truth, but it's this. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus. Listen again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So Christmas is about what, church? It's about the birth of Jesus. It's not about a robust man who loves red velour and who is an adept caribou charmer and has an insatiable appetite for dairy. Now, some of you are processing trying to get all that. I want you to notice I said that a little covertly so that those in here who've only been around the sun four or five times didn't catch that. Point, truth, Jesus is what we're celebrating. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. But here's the caveat. How did the birth of Jesus begin? How did the birth of Jesus begin? Matthew 1.18, we'll read the entire verse this time. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. How did Christmas begin? Christmas began with some incredible brokenness. Christmas began with a significant dilemma. If you were standing in Joseph's shoes or you rephrase that. If you were standing in Joseph's sandals right here and you were looking at the unfolding of that first Christmas story from his perspective, he was a man who had the promise of a bright future transformed into the pain of a dark present and what looked like a very unfaithful past related to his fiancée. Needless to say, Joseph's dreams and his plans were shattered. He was a broken man. 
That's Joseph's story. But what I want you to see is that what God does, here is the uniqueness of this book here. This is a book authored by the God of the universe, the eternal God of the universe. And God, the eternal creator, is the one that can both speak a timely word, tell a timely story, tell a timely truth, and while he does that, he can tell a timeless story and a timeless truth that encompasses all of us. And the truth is that every one of us at some point in our life, and many of us right here tonight find ourselves where Joseph was, broken people. Christmas began with the story of brokenness. Is your present one of pain? Is your future one that looks futile? Have the plans that you had for life and dreamed about for life been shattered as the storms of life have blown through? Well, here is the message of Christmas. It's a message that started with brokenness and yet God stepped into that. That in the midst of what looked like hopelessness and brokenness was actually the very power of God at work to do His greatest deed. So whatever your brokenness is, He is the same God today and He is the God that specializes in stepping into the broken parts of our lives and doing the unimaginable, taking the worst and turning it into the greatest. That's what God does. Christmas proves that. So what I want to do tonight, that's the setup. That's the preparation as we begin to look at the story so that you're not looking at this as some you know, set of historical facts for entertainment tonight, but you're hearing about something that God wants to say about you and your story and your life because the power of Christmas is available for you. So what I want to do is I want to pull out of Matthew chapter 1, the few verses here that tell the Christmas story, I want to pull out of that an answer to the question we've been asking this Christmas season. Why did Jesus come? Why? I want to give you four answers to the question of why did Jesus come from the story that Matthew tells of that first Christmas. And here's the first truth. Let me state it and then I'll show it to you in the text. Number one, Jesus came to transform our brokenness into undefeatable blessing. 
Jesus came to transform our brokenness into undefeatable blessing. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, this is Joseph now, found out what he thought was the unfaithfulness of his fiancée, a broken man needing to make a decision. Matthew 1.19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph, in his brokenness, knew that the relationship was over and the hopes were dashed, but he didn't want to expose his fiancée to public disgrace, so quietly the relationship would just end. Joseph was broken. And that became God's opportunity. God is about to perform in the midst of Joseph's great brokenness his greatest blessing. That's why Jesus came to turn humanity's brokenness into blessing. You'll understand that more as we track through this. But let me give you one more verse, a statement from Jesus. This is Jesus now, approximately 30 years old, ready to begin his public ministry. And he stands up in the tabernacle and takes the scroll of Isaiah and unrolls the scroll and finds the prophetic statement of Isaiah written about 730 years prior to his birth in prophecy of the coming Savior and he reads, he stands up in the tabernacle and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Let me just give you the cliff note statement, Jesus came to transform our brokenness into undefeatable blessing. He came to take all that sin had caused and he came to transform it. He said that as he began his ministry. You know, God came for the brokenhearted, and the truth is, God can do something great in your life at any time, right? I mean, He's God. He doesn't need us to hit rock bottom. But here's the commentary on our own lives a lot. So many times we need us to hit rock bottom before we're ready for God to do something. But if you're there at rock bottom tonight, or if you feel yourself on the way down, or anywhere along that downward spiral, I just want you to know the message of Christmas and the coming of Jesus is to tell us that He came to invade our lives to change them, to take our brokenness and to turn it into something else, into undefeatable blessing.
So that's the first reason he came. Here's the second. Jesus came to reveal God to man. Jesus came to reveal God to man. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And as he, Joseph, considered these things, considered putting away his fiancée privately, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God, the third member of the triune God, God has done this, Joseph. It looks like brokenness to you, but it's really something that I'm doing. And it's this, it's the incarnation. It is God being conceived into the womb of a teenage girl to put on the flesh of humanity and enter into the world at our position, at our level. That's what the incarnation is. It is God joining his divine nature fully with the full human nature so that what you have in Jesus is you have the God-man. That's what you have in Jesus, the God-man. That's what it means, Joseph, this conception in the womb of Mary is from the Holy Spirit. This is God in human flesh. He is God that came from heaven's throne and joined His divine nature with the human nature so He could walk among us, so that He could talk to us, so that we could touch Him, so that we could see Him and hear Him and watch Him so that he could show us God. God entered into our sphere and got on our level and communicated in the way that we knew how to communicate and revealed in the way that we knew how to receive revelation so that he could show us and teach us and reveal to us God. Truth number three. From this story, Jesus came to save us by the greatest sacrifice. He came to transform our brokenness into undefeatable blessing. He came to reveal God to man, and He came to save us by the greatest sacrifice. Matthew one twenty one. The angel continues his message to Joseph. Joseph, she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. You see, if Mary and Joseph 
would have gotten married and there had been no appearance and no conception by the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary would have produced a child in the ordinary way. That child, I'm sure, would have grown up and became a blessing. Blessing to Mary, blessing to Joseph, blessing to the grandparents and those that knew him. But God had a different plan. God had a greater plan. He had the plan for them to have a child that would bless the entire human race for all time. Here's the point. God's plans are better than ours. Always God's plans and God's ways and God's will is better than ours. And what he is doing here is the shockingly unimaginable and unthinkable thing. He put on human flesh revealing God to us ultimately so that he could do what? So that he could take that flesh and take it and nail it to a rough Roman cross and crucify it there. That's the purpose. That is the purpose. Every time You look at the manger, see the shadow of the cross cast over it because the reason he left heaven was to go to the cross. There is no save his people from their sins unless the child with human flesh grows up to be the man that walks into Jerusalem face set like a flint to go there so that he could lay his flesh upon a cross and have it crucified to pay the penalty for sin. That is the only way Christmas makes sense. I mean, I'm not trying to be crude, but who really cares about a little baby that was born 2,000 years ago and placed in an animal feeding trough? Kind of the nostalgia kind of wears off after a few years, right? But if that's God in the trough for the person, purpose of that being God on the cross, it changes everything, everything. So Jesus came to save us by the greatest sacrifice. The word Jesus, compound word. The J-E points to the name for God of Jehovah. That's his most personal name. This is the personal God who came in human flesh. And the S-U-S, it points to the work of salvation that God would accomplish so that the name of Jesus means God the Savior. The name of Jesus means God the Savior. That's why the angel said, directed by God, to say to Joseph, Joseph, that child, name him Jesus because he is God the Savior who's going to save his people from their sin. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, 
who, referring to Jesus, that Jesus was delivered up. That's his crucifixion. He was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and raised for our justification. Jesus' death and his resurrection are what cleanses us from sin and justifies us before God, makes us right with God. So here's what Jesus came to do. He came to save us by the greatest sacrifice himself. And listen, his sacrifice is sufficient. The resurrection proves that the Father accepted the sacrifice of the Son as full payment for sin because if He was not a worthy sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice that could pay the penalty for sin, He would have to stay in the grave to pay His own penalty. But God called him out of the grave to shout down through the halls of history the fully sufficient sacrifice for sin has been made and God accepts it as complete for those who trust in him. So here's what that means. Jesus is trustworthy. Don't miss this part of that sacrifice. It means that he's trustworthy. Here's why. The Old Testament, written over about a thousand years, over and over again, said a Savior's coming and here's who he's going to be. Here's what he's going to do. I'm not talking about uh, fortune cookie generalities. I'm talking about very specific details, 300 and some details of the life of the Messiah that would come and then the Old Testament closed and all of those promises were waiting to be fulfilled and 400 years transpired and then Jesus was born and lived 33 years and fulfilled every one of those ancient prophecies of the Messiah perfectly. Here's what that means. He's trustworthy. Here's another reason he's trustworthy. While he was here and while he walked the shores of Palestine, he said to his disciples on a number of occasions, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be in the grave. But three days later, I'm coming back to life. And three days later, what, church? He came back to life point. He is trustworthy. So he came and provided the greatest sacrifice. So what we should do is trust in him and his sacrifice. We should trust him because he did what God in the Old Testament said he would do and what he as the God-man said he would do that he could only do if he was God. Acts 10.43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. How many? All those who do what? All those who believe. Not all those who attend church every Sunday. I like you here. I want you to be here every Sunday. But that's not what gets you there. 
Not all those who give the most. Not all those who help the most needs. Not all those who pray the most pious prayers. All those who believe in Jesus Christ so that their sins are forgiven. You see, we have this thing between us and God. He's holy. We're sinful. That puts us under his condemnation and wrath, and something had to take care, something had to take care of our sin, and there's only one thing that could do that, the death of Jesus. And then finally, number four, here's the last reason I want to show you why Jesus came from this story. Jesus came to give us unbreakable friendship with God. He came to give us unbreakable friendship with God. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. All of this took place, Matthew writes, this story. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, church what? God with us. It means his very name. He's got a name that means God came to fellowship with us, to dwell with us. He came as the God-man so he could establish a real intimate relationship. Christmas is not about religion. It's about relationship. Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship. You see, there was something broken in our relationship. We were under the judgment of a holy God. And the only thing that could take care of that is us putting our trust in the one who paid the penalty for our sin so that we don't have to pay it anymore. So when we put our trust in Jesus, what happens is we get put into Christ. And if you're in Christ, guess what? You're safe. If you're in Christ, you're in perfect righteousness. If you're in Christ, though all hail assail you, you are undefeatable because he is undefeatable. He's the great conqueror. He's the undefeatable light. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? Who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that's the safe place to be. That's the place of no condemnation. That's the place where the sins have been paid for and you don't ever have to pay for them again. Matter of fact, the Father would never make you do that. It would be an assault, an affront to His Son because His Son paid that if you trusted in Him. And then Jesus said this to His followers. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. This is a crazy thing. This is a crazy, crazy thing. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, came to make us friends with God. I know that sounds so crazy. Me, a friend of God, I hear that in my own ears and it kind of like scratching the chalkboard with my fingernails. How could that be? Because he is infinitely 
transcendent and holy, and I am not. But it's true because Jesus accomplished it. And as I put my faith in him, I become a friend of God, and you do. So that's what the Christmas story is about. Christmas story is about the birth of Jesus Christ, the God-man who entered into our world so that he could turn our brokenness into undefeatable blessing, reveal God to us, pay the greatest sacrifice for sin, and make us friends with God. That's what Christmas is about. It's not just about the animal feeding trough and the camels hanging around the stable. It's about God in the stable and God on the cross so that you can be in Him and with Him forever. That's what it's about. Last verse. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. And then listen to how strong he states it again. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So there it is. You put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, knowing that you're a sinner and you deserve the judgment of God for your sin, but you put your trust in Jesus alone and who He is and what He's done. You get put into Jesus. Your sins are cleansed. No longer can you be condemned, and you get to enter into a relationship with God in which will be a growing friendship where you'll be secure and with Him forever for throughout eternity. That's the story of Christmas that impacts your brokenness so that your brokenness can become the greatest blessing forever. That's what Christmas is about. And so it's fitting. We do this every year. It's fitting as we end the service in light of Jesus coming to pay the greatest sacrifice that we take communion because what communion is is a remembrance of what Jesus has done through his sacrifice of death on the cross. The juice is symbolic of the spilled blood of Jesus. The bread is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus. It's not anything in those trays that save you. It's the person and the work of Jesus that saves. But in communion, we remember in reverence and worship what he's done for us. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord's Supper is for you. Communion is for you. Or if today you're making that decision for the first time, it's for you. And so what we've got, we've got some elements up here, over on the corners, down the side, in the back, whatever's closest to you as we sing the song Listen to this music. You go and remember what Jesus has done as you take communion in an act of reverence and worship. God bless you.